0: Central Monday, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw here in the Kintec studio. Kintec footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canucks coming off a victory against the Florida Panthers. Uh, had the day off in Nashville today. They will play the Predators tomorrow. And that is when our uh television pregame shows kick back in again for this season, our first of the year, set
1: Yeah, excited. And uh we'll get going.
0: It's gonna be an extra long one tomorrow yeah. too. Five thirty.
1: Five thirty. Till like six fifteen ish. Yeah, it's uh it's a staggered start because everybody's playing and they Right, tomorrow. that's what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so it's staggered. Every start is staggered. Yeah.
0: There like fifteen minute starts right. and yeah. all thirty two teams are playing.
1: Yeah. So it's a bit awkward, but
0: you know, we're excited for it. Yep. Going to need multiple screens tomorrow night to watch uh, to watch hockey, for sure. But Canucks will get back then. But 3-2 and two on the season, 2-2 two and two on this road trip, and a lot to get into. I know a lot of people have been uh, focused on the Quinn Hughes conversation, and, I mean, heck, we've been having it forever. Uh, but he's not the only Canuck player off to a really good start that's maybe not getting the type of notice that they should be getting. Heck, Elias Petterson, he's got 10 points. Mm-hmm. You see him up there on the top of the NHL.com leaderboards. There's not enough things you can say about Patterson. Heck, it looks like he can be even better than he has been so far. But JT Miller has been off to a really good start. And as we talked about on the postgame show Saturday after the win against Florida, like that line led by JT Miller has consistently been the Canucks' best line
1: the most consistent line, yeah. right? And they just repeatedly do the same thing. And that's win battles along the boards, they uh, have a good forecheck. They've been pretty good positionally, defensively. Fielder Giuseppe is obviously getting a lot of praise for the way he won the battle against Oliver Ekman Larson, which was you know one of the better moments of the season in terms of you know hard work and how that pays off. And Kuzmenko and his patience to draw at Bar- 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 Barbowski and score. So it was a high level play by PDG. Also, Kuzmenko finishing it off but the man who puts it into the corner is JT Miller and and the player who's really been the straw that's been stirring the drink for this team I'd say in many ways is JT Miller especially up front in terms of forwards we all know Quinn's been the star right he's he's the king right now and anything he touches has been gold just him and Arona together has been have been fantastic as well and and he's on the menu so we'll get to him coming up obviously but JT should get more notice for doing the heavy lifting the way he has He's playing 21 minutes and 45 seconds a night, matching up against teams, teams' top lines. He's being relied upon in every other
0: situation heavily as well, Dan. Yeah, he's kind of been exactly what the Canucks need him to be behind Elias Patterson. You know, JT got off to the slowish start last year, mm-hmm. and you know, he started to see it work into uh, the emotional side of the game that can. Uh, sometimes be a problem for JT Miller and you know, it led to the F bombs on the ice and you would hear, or the Colin Delia situation. And it just, it wasn't pretty. And they took JT off of center after a while. Some of that was, they just didn't have enough guys going. Mm -hmm. They needed better out of the top six. They wanted to give Horvat some help. All of those things are true, but Miller, was as much a part of the problem at the beginning of last year as he was a part of the solution. And right now, you know, he has been that emotional leader and it's not been something that's taken away from the team. I think it's added uh, to a lot of what the team has done so far this season. You know, think about um, Thursday, you know, going up against the lightning and Canucks come out of that first period down a goal And then JT just like muscles his way to the puck in the offensive zone, wins a battle, gets it out in front for Brock Besser in the first, what, 20 seconds of that first period yeah. and gets the Canucks on the board. Yeah. you know, And JT's done that. It hasn't always led to goals, but he's done that on numerous occasions this year where he's still that guy that, and I know you hate this, drags the team into the fight sometimes.
1: You, you know what? Like I hate that term, but I also think because to me, that means the team isn't there or somebody's not awake and somebody yes. has to take them in. He's starting games off. Setting the tone, yeah, you know, it's like he's he's starting the fight. That's what you have to do, and as soon as the game starts, you have to be ready to go. And he's doing that. We talk about JT and him having to channel that emotion the right way, like you mentioned, and that's what he's shown so far. Because even if you look at some of the the, like he's winning the shot share when he's out there, right? You can get into other, other numbers as well that are you know pretty close to even in terms of how many minutes he plays, but. If you go through everything, it's really favorable in terms of how well he's played. Like, look, the defensive zone starts. He has 28 defensive zone starts, which is by far the most of any forward on the team. The second—the guy who's second is Dakota Joshua with 22, right? Yeah. He's taken 42 D-zone face-offs. That's a lot. The, the, the Canucks center who's second in face-offs defensively in, the, in a D-zone is Pew Suter, who's mm-hmm. 23. Almost half, right? Right. He leads the team and hits with 18. Lafferty and Joshua have 12 each. He has five even strength points, tied with Elias Patterson. Brock has six. Yeah. But, like, I mean, he's doing everything right now, and he's showing up, playing at that level from the beginning of games, right? If he's playing at this level... We're not just talking about like, hey, is he earning the contract? Like this year, if he can play like this, and I'm not saying he's going to get 110 points or whatever he's on pace for, right? But it's more about if he plays close to a point per game and does this, then yeah. $8 million is a bargain. And that's the type of player I think this team needs for them to be competitive. It's not just about, hey, can JT be worth $8 million? It's like, can JT be a $9, $10 million player this year? Mm-hmm. Can Elias Patterson be an $11, $12 million player? Can Quinn Hughes be an $11 million player? Can Thatcher Demko be a $8, $9 million goalie? I mean, that's what you want to see. And I'm putting a dollar value on it because that's how we're addressing the contracts as well in terms of how much surplus value can you get. Because I don't think the Canucks are getting a ton of surplus value From their bottom six guys, they're not getting a ton of surplus value from, you know, any cheap contracts on this team right now. It all comes down to, can your star players outperform what you're paying them? And when JT plays at
0: this level, and you
1: have two lines going at the top, I mean, it gives you a real
0: chance to survive. The team really needs to keep figuring things out as it goes, but some things that are working is JT Miller is playing like the second line center that this team needs him to play like behind Elias Pettersson. And minutes-wise, first line center. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's going up against uh, the ultimate toughs. And can Elias Pettersson do that? Can Elias Pettersson be the guy that goes up against the other team's top competition? Yes, he can. But is that something Rick Tockett's going to do as long as Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko are together? Probably not. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is about the mix and what talk it trusts in that line with Phil DiGiuseppe and, and Brock Besser. And they've been given the toughs. This is going back to last year at the end of last season as well. And when Rick Tockett was appointed as as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. there was sort of an underlying narrative of like, well, he's got to be the guy that gets uh, JT Miller on track, right? Oh, yeah. Rick Tockett, talk- like, JT Miller kind of plays like a, a young Rick Tocket. This is a perfect fit, right? And, yeah, maybe it was overstated in some of the way that it was being talked about around the league. But JT Miller under Rick Tocket. The numbers. 40 games, 16 goals, 33 assists. That's a 100-point pace. He's plus 13 overall. Plus 16 in net takeaways. And is basically dead even on expected goals for. Mm-hmm. What more could you ask for out of a guy that's taking the toughest minutes and is playing a massive role for this team at an $8 million cost?
1: This is how you're, if if you are going to make the playoffs, this is the way you're getting in. We talked about it before the season. We know Elias Pettersson, as long as he's healthy, he's going to give you a star level play. Like even right now, like I, I think we can all agree that Pettersson's hasn't shown his best and it's clear he's still a little banged up in terms of how he's playing. Yet he has 10 points in five games. Yeah. Like that's the player we're talking about here with Elias Patterson, right? But it always came down to what what JT are you getting? Mm-hmm. And with the JT we're seeing so far, and it's only 5 games in, but it's a noted difference from what we talked about him before. He, he's been a slow starter, not a slow starter this season. And he's the guy that gets better as the season goes on. So the fact that you're getting him to start off well, are you getting a more consistent, more serious player throughout the year? Because if you are, then I think, you know, you you have a real chance to be a playoff team. Because as much as the bottom six is an issue, a lot of teams have bottom six issues. It all comes yeah. down to your star players. Can you have two lines that dominate? And the way you have Hughes and Hirona going together, you still need more on the back end, of course. Yep. But you have a good goaltender as well. Like I, th- I think the signs in terms of your star players taking you and leading you somewhere have been very positive for this team. And I think the one that's the most critical one up front because of how how volatile it can be is JT Miller. And so far he looks outstanding.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, led to a great start to the season for Brock Besser. And those things are really good. So yeah, you know, Quinn Hughes is underrated JT Miller. I think also not being noticed enough for how well he's played through these first five games of the season. Long way to go yet now, you know, and I, I know beginnings of the season. It's always like this, but yes. you know, it's, it's already uh oh, the Canucks, uh, the highest PDO in the league, and how much can you really, like they're they're living on luck and they're only three and two and their shooting percentage is second best in the league only to Detroit. And I keep hearing all these things and it's like, well, let's wait for a larger data set. And also, yes, you know, when those numbers are that high, you know that some regression is going to come.
1: Well, they played five games and they had an eight, one win. Of course it's the, the numbers yeah. are going to be skewed.
0: You know, they've, they've scored a, a a lot of goals, even though they've been shut out in one game, but they have scored a a, a pretty good amount of goals to this point. In the season, in the games they have played, but it, the conversation shouldn't be more like, "Oh well, they're they're going to eventually, they're going to regress, and then we'll see the same old Canucks that we always thought we would see." Or those are the pessimistic takes, yes. I, I would imagine. But it's more, how are they going to counteract this? How are they going to keep building as the season goes on, and find ways to, you know, be more sustainable? The top six has been good. We're not worried about any of those guys. But the bottom six has been where a large part of the Canucks' problem is. They're not generating much offensively out of that bottom six, and you know they've getting caved in quite a bit with that bottom six on the ice as well.
1: They're getting victimized consistently. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the other night, the two goals against Florida at even strength, mm-hmm. they came against the bottom six. You look at the bottom six and the way they've played in recent games. They have really struggled. Like Pew Suter for a team that's, what, plus seven on goal differential is minus two. And that tells you a lot. And I think we've liked a lot of what we've seen from Pew Suter. But even he, uh, the Barkov goal, for instance, as much as Myers got a lot of grief for stepping up and not winning the puck. And, yeah, listen, uh, he he did the right th- Let me thing. He had to contest that play. The way he contests the play is just Myers-y. So, yes. you know, <laughs> you know it, it turns out to be, you know, a mess. Out. He, he, he makes it a mess out of it. But he's supposed to move up and down. So he has no choice but to make a play on the puck, right? It's Hugh Suter who's not covering and Ian Cole that allow that Barkov play to happen. But again, that's a sign of, hey, this is a guy who's supposed to help you defensively. And he has in a lot of moments. But there's also moments like that where you see a clear mistake happen and it's pretty egregious, right? And we always point to Myers, but sometimes there are other guys that also make a lot of big mistakes. There's five guys on the ice. Yes, and everyone does. Like even top end guys do, but they offset that by scoring, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, you don't worry about the odd mistake as much. It's a bigger issue, especially for a guy like Pew Suter, who has zero points. He's a dash two, makes mistakes like that. I think a lot of it is they haven't found consistent wingers for him. And that's why, to your point, they got to find a mix now. And to me, part of it is having Carno Garland play with him. And now with Mikheyev back, I don't think there is much of an excuse to try to create a third line with him being a focal point on it. The trade isn't happening anytime soon. At least I yeah. don't think so. We'll see if we're surprised and something does come to fruition here. I hope it does because, hey, who wouldn't like to see a trade, especially one involving real money? But how do you make the best of it? And I think he can be part of the solution for you to have at least a third line that's not getting caved in. That maybe generates a little bit of offense. And once you get Bluger back, can you have a fourth line that can forecheck? Yeah. You know, be good defensively. Because right now, they're not getting any of that from their bottom six. And there is a pathway to fixing that potentially with what I just mentioned and some combinations around them with wingers or whatever. Perhaps recall options even, because mm-hmm. I think there's one guy I think would help them immensely in that, you know, on a fourth-line role who's not here. But I think that's what they have to shore up, because if they don't figure out something for the bottom six, then all the good work the top six is
0: doing could get undone pretty quickly. So we did see a little bit of a mixed change of practice yesterday with the bottom six. Yeah. Joshua, Suter, Garland. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth line was Beauvillier, Lafferty, Hoaglander, Studnika coming out of the lineup in that scenario. Now, Canucks didn't practice today. They had the day off in Nashville. Uh, We'll play tomorrow. But Joshua, Suter, Garland is something we talked about a lot in preseason and at camp. We saw a lot of Suter mm-hmm. and Garland playing together. I think the only reason we haven't seen it is mainly because Teddy Bluger hasn't been around.
1: I think that's the main reason why. Yeah, I think and that and Mikheyev was injured, so yeah. you know Garland had to move up as well. But I think that's a big reason why we haven't seen it. And I think not having Bluger does hurt the team because I know Pew Suter's been asked to do a lot on the PK. Like I mentioned, he's second in taking defensive zone face-offs. But you see how big a gap there is between him and... JT Miller. Yeah, If if Teddy Bluger had been here, I bet you JT's not taking as many D-zone face-offs and the gap isn't quite as significant. Now, Suter's been lights out on the face-off circle. He's won like 60% or whatever for the team so he's far. Been good. He's been fantastic. But the usage is still not... You see how big a gap there is, especially yeah. for a guy you know that they're using defensively, but he still gets used. But he's not best suited for that role. He can provide you some depth in that role. He's good if he's like... exactly If you have Bluger and he's behind you, He's a great layer on top of it, but what he brings is a little bit more offense, right? A yeah. little bit more puck possession ability, a little bit more go-
0: goal-scoring touch, right? He can be—like, he's a he's fine as a two-way center, um, but he's not like a typical— fourth line checker in the way that teddy bluger can
1: be. precisely but he can be a very effective third line center with the right wing mix because yeah. when he's at his best he's also very good with his puck pursuit he's good at challenging pucks he's got a good stick he's smart being in the right position it's just he doesn't always excel in winning in those areas but generally he's in the right spot and i just mentioned he made a mistake too on the bark off play but it's been not the norm with him but i, I don't think he has enough push to really drag guys around with him. but he's he's dependable enough defensively and he's smart enough defensively and talented enough to play with some skilled guys that if you put a garland next to him, I think there's a real chance for that line to be not your traditional checking third line, but be more of a pseudo middle six line. You know, that's more of a top six type of line, but you know, but they're more obviously a third line. I think the big question is who's going to be the real four checker on that line. Can it be Joshua? Yeah. He's off to a really slow start. And once Bluger gets healthy, I would like to see Bluger and Lafferty together as a as a duo potentially, but I mean, do you have to put Lafferty with those guys instead of Joshua? Do you have to maybe call up Niels Olman, who's a good, good forechecker and retriever now? No, he got banged up as well in the AHL. So I think there's a few things that you can look at here option-wise. I think there's enough stuff that you can explore that there could be some solutions, but they have to figure it out because right now you're looking at the games and where they've struggled is very clearly those areas and, and in addition to their blue line outside of a few guys
0: that are, that are really costing them in games it's um it's interesting how that is going to work out um with Suter and Joshua and Garland i'm i'm curious if they do end up playing together tomorrow how it looks and also on home ice with a third line like that or a middle sixth line like that, how can you get some advantageous matchups for mm-hmm. them? And can they exploit those matchups and be a third line that helps you win more matchups through the course of the night? That's kind of where the Canucks are still looking for more success in carrying more possession through the game. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately that's, what's going to help them not bleed as many chances as they have to this point in the season. It's more about they need to be able to possess the puck more and play more on offense than they have been so far this season.
1: Yeah, like I'd even And
0: Tockett's mentioned that a bunch of times. You know,
1: I went back and rewatched the Florida game and the third period it wasn't great, they were out chanced right, but looking back at it it was they weren't defending that poorly, generally speaking. They made a couple of breakdowns happen, but they were clearing the net fairly well, they were pretty good in their own zone, they were clearing the puck out you know fairly quickly it wasn't you know chance after chance after chance not to sustain pressure wave after wave. they did a pretty good job breaking it, breaking it down, but to your point, they've created no push moving forward yeah they were they, they didn't sustain any sort of pressure, and one of the things talk had mentioned was sometimes you have more time on with the puck than you think you do, especially in the neutral zone or especially when you get into the offensive zone. It's like, let's, let's try to also create a cycle. Let's, let's at least create a few passes, let's string together a few passes in the offensive zone. And that's one thing they have to do a lot better and not try
0: to go into that more defensive shell. Uh, And, you know, part of that could be with the defense too, right? Um, they, they, they are having a lot of success with Quinn Hughes and Philip Heronick on the ice. Mm-hmm. Not so much beyond those two. We'll dive more into this. Don Taylor is going to join us, but uh, it is Monday, so let's get to the Monday menu. Ah, the sizzle We're on the menu. Sizzling hot. There's a few Canucks that are sizzling hot right now and on the menu. I think number one has to be Quinn Hughes. I mean, without, with, with a bullet. That performance on Saturday was next level. I mean, we've
1: seen him... I think we've seen him dominate games before. We haven't seen him be as authoritative with the puck and creating space for himself to get shots off and being as aggressive as we've seen before. Yeah. you know, And
0: he's just done it consistently. Um, he's the ribeye steak with mashed potatoes that never never disappoints. No, it doesn't disappoint.
1: And I, and I knew Dan was going to have a number one because uh, he came through with his anytime that goal.
0: <laughs> I mean, that was huge That's on huge, Saturday huge night as goal. well. Good
1: call. Good call.
0: At, uh, after that, I could splurge for a few things on the menu. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, JT Miller is next on the menu. Now, I, I don't know if everybody's going to agree with this one uh, because Elias Patterson has 10 points and is still uh, top five in the league, but as we outlined a little bit earlier, JT is bringing it. And he's bringing a lot of success right now for the Canucks when he's on the ice. Finally, closing out the uh, on-the-menu category here. Those that are hot with the Vancouver Canucks. Goaltending.
1: What's not to like? Casey DeSmith. I mean, Demko's looked incredible. Even the one game he lost, he deserved more than the 2 nothing loss they, they had. And Casey DeSmith has won both his starts. Yeah.
0: I he, mean, it's... He looked even sharper Saturday, I thought, than he did in the game against Edmonton. Yeah. Even though... You know, he made what 37 saves against Edmonton. I thought he night. looked a
1: lot better too I agree I mean he kicked out a couple rebounds or whatever but I think generally he was he was holding his ground much more and for a small guy he doesn't look small when he doesn't hunch over yeah he, he did a good job of covering the net I was pretty impressed
0: it was it's an interesting contrast to like Spencer Martin who's a big guy but always kind of looks yeah, small looks in the small. net yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and Casey DeSmith so far perfect through two starts because he's got two wins Uh all right simmering these are the Canucks, Canucks that are Kind of hot, but not ready to be on the menu right now. And we have Elias Patterson in this category, which uh, might cause some uh, discussion on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Are we Petters-
1: going to take as much heat as the athletic player ranking?
0: Uh, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, Patterson has been able to put up the points. He's been really good. But... We haven't felt like Patterson has reached his peak level yet.
1: I think there's another level or two for him to reach because he's shown some of it the first couple of games, and then he's clearly banged up. Yeah. And that's the only reason why. And, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible that him playing at maybe, what, 90% of what he can bring... Is still a ten points in five games player who had a great release on a shot. He still looked dynamic on the power play. Five on five, you see some struggles. You see defensively too in his in his body. He's not you can tell he's not one hundred percent. But when he has a puck on his on a stick and he has some time and space, he's still deadly. And that's why, you know, these types of players are special.
0: Uh, Brock Besser is also on the simmering list. Only Alex Debrinkat has more goals than Brock Besser in the league right now. And the road trip is also simmering right now because. Canucks get a win tomorrow in Nashville and it's a above 500 road trip and nobody's really going to be too upset with that. Uh, Returning to the kitchen, this uh, food's a little cold right now, you know. You got a pizza came out and the the cheese isn't runny anymore, so it's like, uh, what what happened? This was sitting out
1: too long. The expediter was not expediting.
0: Yeah, it's basically all of the bottom six. Yeah. Uh, Pew Souter and Anthony Bovillier both still without a point this year, and the bottom six in general just hasn't been good enough.
1: No, it just hasn't. It just hasn't been. Um, I think Bovillier is starting to look a little bit better, but when you got bagels across the board in terms of uh, points, yeah. it's not great when you're getting paid four million. That's tough.
0: Yeah, that is. Tough. One of uh, only a few Canucks that have been in games this year that don't yet have a point. The others are Ian Cole, Mark Friedman, and Akito Hirose. Everybody else has a point. Yeah. So, Pew Suter and Anthony Bovillier got to pick it up at some point. Don Taylor is going to join us and really excited to chat with Brandon Sutter a little bit later on as well. Recently retired. He'll talk to us about his journey through long COVID and the decision to call it a career. That's coming up on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Tech Studio uh, as expected some uh debate about the uh, menu. Hey guys, can you rattle off the stats? JT Miller leads the Canucks in? I think I missed it. Some people just don't want to appreciate JT Miller as a player, it feels like.
1: No, I mean listen, 21 45 a night leads the team. Leads the team in defensive zone starts with 28. Forty-two D-zone faceoffs, which is almost twenty more than who's second, and that's Suter. Yeah, leads the team in hits with eighteen. Joshua Lafferty second with twelve, tied with Pedersen, Even strength points with five. Brock leads the way with six. Uh,
0: Tim saying, "Where is the the JT versus Bo from the fans? Miller is a different animal this year."
1: It's five games, too, so
0: we'll see how it it, uh, plays out. I don't think we're ever going to have to stop doing the J.T. Miller versus uh, Bo Horvat thing, but uh, maybe it would be okay if we put it to rest for now. Uh, It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly, the legend himself. He joins us every Monday, and you can hear him on Donnie and Dolly 10 to noon on Czech TV Monday through Friday. The better half of Donnie and Dolly, as I say. (laughs) Do you agree, hey, Donnie, or, or you're oh, not allowed to say anything bad about Dolly while He gets mad. No,
2: I, I, no. Well, yeah, sure. But <laughs> he, he, we kick on him a lot. We all do. But <laughs> Listen, when you talk about legends, I'm driving around. To, you know, we've got some hockey practices, games, whatever going on. Minor hockey, and I'm, I, who's this guy doing color with Brendan Batchelor? Oh yes, on the on the Canucks. It was just so good, Dan. Just a, just an outstanding job. I don't. I'm not being patronizing. I mean it. It was really, really good. It was just, just excellent.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so, appreciate it. Uh, right put right all there. my uh, college hockey experience to uh, <laughs> to the test. <laughs>
2: hey, whatever works. Hey, listen, like who's considered the uh, probably when you talk about talk to longtime Vancouverites? Tom Larside is considered by many to be the best color man ever, along with John Garrett. But you know, when you talk about Tom, Tom came here uh, from Utah State. He was grew up in Milwaukee. He played football. He yeah. played football for the BC lions. He was a member of the NW sales staff. They threw him in for a hockey game one day and it just was magical. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it, and it just worked. You know why? Cause he's passionate and he, 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 his love for the sport and the Canucks came through every day. And, no, I thought it was a great Saturday. Outstanding. I
0: appreciate that, Donnie. This city has actually been uh, blessed with some pretty good play-by-play voices through the year. It's also generated, you know, uh, some pretty good voices that went national uh, beyond that too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Jim Houston for one, obviously mm-hmm. uh, Jim Robson. Shorty gets the, uh, a turn or two uh, nationally. No, it's been it's been excellent, and that's that's just hockey. There are other sports as well we're talking about. So no, it's been it's been. It's been really a real, real good history here, and I just thought it was uh, thought it was great on Saturday.
0: So, uh, what's your favorite part about Quinn Hughes? the The player on the ice, or that he takes shots at the Eastern media?
2: Oh gosh, um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go with the player on the ice because that's that's most important. Uh, but uh, he's, I, 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 I find him strangely comfortable with the media, with talking, and and like in a real low key way. I think he, I think he he doesn't mind it at all. I think he, he, he likes it. And um, he's just a real hockey nerd. And uh, I, 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 and that, that shows up on the ice as well. Like he just, he has a real brain for the game. So let's go with the guy on the ice. He's just so special. And I think he's getting better. And I think he's, I I just think he is reveling in in wearing the captain's seat in the Canadian city. I think it's a, it's a big deal to him. He's just been fabulous. And you know, Sat, I think it was you just said it. I know it's been five games. But that's what we do here, Yeah. right? We're in Canada. It's five games, and we have an opinion, and that's okay.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, where I, I saw, you know, people mentioning is like you know, getting mad at each other over stuff, and I'm like, everyone also needs to relax and realize we may be right or wrong. We could also be wrong. <laughs> gives into the season about all these sure. different things that we see, right? But uh, I, the thing about Quinn Hughes, and the thing that I'm actually like to see from the fan base, is generally that this fan base has been, you know, at each other's each other's throats. And I know sometimes, you know, they can be overbearing at, at Eastern media for various reasons. Sometimes they're justified, and sometimes, well, you know, fans can always be sensitive, and that's fine. Mm. But uh, it's nice to see Canucks fans come together and defend Quinn Hughes because he is worth defending. Like, when we see rankings like 67 or whatever from ESPN or even you know the Athletic having him. As a, what it was a three B tier, whatever they 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 named it as, I think it's fair for fans to react to that. And if a player is worth defending, then I have no issues with them banding together and, and making a point. And yeah, people can cross a line. Nobody wants to see that, but I think part of doing these rankings is creating you know engagement, creating reaction. Yeah. You shouldn't be upset that fans you know react a certain way.
2: Yeah, and I, I think with Quinn Hughes, if you don't see him a lot, first of all that that's that gets goes against him. And that's the age-old problem with uh, players on the, on the western side of North America, especially on the, on the Pacific side, where, you know, because of the time zones, people in the east where the bulk of the population is, they don't see them a whole lot. Uh, the other thing with Quinn Hughes, I still think that people, people who don't see him a lot, they underestimate him to this day, even though there's a pretty good body of work at the pro level, at the NHL level. I think they're still underestimated because of his size. You know, and, and even, even just the, the baby face and all that, I honestly think sometimes it comes down to something that primal and, and they, they just don't see him every night. They don't see the way he plays and the way, you know, his offense is the best defense. He has the puck all the time. That's a pretty good defense. And people just don't see him enough. And I, and I still think that there's that thought that, well, he's really small. He can't be that good. And when you see him play, he plays a big game in, 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 in so many ways. And I still think that that, that is that is against him. But uh people here know how good he is. I think one day the word the word will will get widespread.
0: Are are you surprised that uh you know the Canucks have put him and Philip peronic together because and you know, what's happening behind those two on the decor is uh well it's leaving it's leaving a little bit to be desired for me right now, Donnie.
2: Yeah. Um I am surprised just because You know, when they talked about what their depth chart would look like, uh, that was rarely brought up. And I'm talking about the Canucks and anybody who knows more about hockey than the three of us, whenever you saw line combinations, defensive pairings for the Canucks in the off season, that was rarely, if ever mentioned, it just seemed too frightening, not because of them, but because of what was behind them. But, you know, they're on the ice 25, you know, between 25 and 30 minutes a game, that pairing. So, uh, it, it kind of makes sense from from that point of view, and I guess they have enough. I, I think it might be. I don't know what you guys think. Maybe it's a kind of a compliment to someone like Ian Cole, and maybe you know, maybe Susie on that third pairing uh, that, that that they like what they see from them so far. I mean, they're not perfect, and they're not Quinn Hughes, they're not Philip but maybe that maybe that's part of it. But guys, we all know they still have to get they have to get someone else. There's still one more, I would say, one, at least one more defenseman to come. Maybe that's from within. Maybe that takes two years. Maybe it's Ethan Bear, But, uh, I, I, you know, it just speaks to Rick Tocket probably feeling that, you know what, we put those two together. It's one of the best defensive pairings in the entire NHL. Let's go with it. And, you know what, at the very least, it's an experiment. Let's see what happens. And so far, pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think it has been really good. Now, one player who's been taking a lot of criticism has been Tyler Myers. And I I know sometimes, you know, it's not always his fault, but it's it's such a hyper-focus on him now that everything he does is going to get talked about. And I I think a lot of it, Donnie, comes down to fatigue of him being here for now five years and him struggling to earn that contract. And, you know, it's all tied back to the Jim Benning era and what that means. So I think there's there's a lot of baggage there in terms of people's patience not being there for Tyler Myers. But uh, is there any recourse? Other than trying to get something out of him on the roster, because as much as yes, and we can all argue he might be worth benching for a game or two, but there's not like they have better options on the right side over Tyler Myers right now, anyways.
2: Yeah, I I think what we're going to see here, guys, is my, my guess would be the, the, the I doubt if they get much in return. We, we we all know that. I think they play it out and see what they can get at the deadline. Maybe there's an injury for, for, with with Tyler. Um, and I think with him, he's not coming back, and I think that's, he wouldn't want to come back under these uh, under any circumstances. And I think he's a guy who needs a fresh start. But I, I would I would think maybe that the most likely scenario I shouldn't say likely because you don't want to you know wish bad on anybody, but that there is an injury somewhere in the National Hockey League. They want an experienced right right side defenseman, and maybe later in the season when he doesn't cost as much financially maybe that's that's the what what ends up happening to him, or you know uh his, his pride comes through and he just keeps his game we've been saying this for so long i I'm almost tired he tries to simplify his game under under Rick Tockett. and Rick Tockett and adam foot and, and Gonshar get to him and he just starts playing better hockey but uh that tampa game was was tough to watch and obviously given the fact he played thirteen minutes in Florida, it was pretty tough to watch for the coaching staff too
0: it's um like <laughs> Has there ever been a defenseman that's taken as much, much heat as uh, Tyler Myers in this market, Donnie?
2: Oh, gosh, uh, that's, that's a great question. Like, I um, know there's
0: been guys who've been called pylons in the past, but I mean, yeah, for Myers, yeah, well, it's been five years of him just getting crushed. Well, by th- f- th-
2: thanks for reminding me, Dana say he would be the one and similar in stature, maybe a, you know, a, a little more beef there with uh, Dana the thing is with him, and this happens with Myers, too. Dana, Dana Merzen is an assistant captain. Pat Quinn loved him. And I, I think that, you know, he was great in, back in those days when the front of the net was a battle, and Dana Merzen was really good at that. The problem with him is that once every nine games, eight games, he'd get beat around the outside pretty easily, and hence the pylon uh nickname. But he played a lot, and... Uh, and Pat Quinn loved them. And I think what, what you saw with Dana is maybe what you saw with the drafting of Ole Ulevi, mm-hmm. um In that, I think oftentimes, uh, GM's coaches look at players that played a bit like they did. Dana Merzen played like Pat Quinn did. And I think Pat saw a lot of himself in, in Dana. And I mean this with all due respect. And, and I think that's, that's where that came, came about all that ice time for him. And he would, he was fine. I thought I, uh, he was fine as a defense, but I thought he was fine. I think, I think at this point, you'd have to say he had a better career as a Canuck than Tyler Myers has had and a, in large part, that has a lot to do with the contract. It's just too much.
1: And also not having any any real success either for the team, right? I mean, at least with Merzan, you had you had some success with some of the teams he was around. And some of yeah. these other guys, I know like Good Branson, for instance, for the few years he was here, he took yeah. a lot of heat. And it looked really bad. I think as bad as Myers has looked, I remember before Good Branson was traded, Donnie, like there were games where literally the puck would explode on a stick. Like it really looked like yeah. it would. Like, I mean, I remember yeah. watching the games, being at the rink and going you you can't have him on the ice because literally every single puck that came his way he bobble it or he make the wrong read. It was comical at one point. So we've seen this before. I just, yeah. I just think there is probably more fatigue with Tyler Myers right now.
2: You know what, guys? I'll throw in, I'll throw someone else into the mix too. I think we forget because the respect level for him is so high, but we forget there was a time in this city where people were really down on Alex Edler. Oh yeah, and then I think I think you know just giveaways and. I think with Alex Edler, well, a couple of things. First of all, if you remember early on in his career, there was a series against the LA Kings. He was hitting Doughty, he was he was hitting Dustin. It was outstanding. And then the back problem started, and he stopped hitting. Uh, and, you know, not hitting like he did early in his career. People wanted to see more of that, and he, he adjusted his game. And there there were giveaways, and people were down on him. Got a lot of ice time. He's on the ice a lot of time, a lots of times. Against very good players. So there were mistakes there. And then one day, I I can remember being at the game. It was Alex Edler has just become the all time games played leader in Canucks defenseman history. And there was a standing ovation from him. And then the, the, the story on him began to change. The opinion on him began to change. And there was this total respect. And then he became, you know, all time the leader in pretty much every category when it came to defenseman. But we forget that he got criticized fairly fairly heavily, and a lot of it had to do with the the promise he showed from an aggressive point of view early on, and how that changed, plus some giveaways. But the guy was on the ice all the time, too, which is difficult.
0: So, uh, it's... it's it's the way we evaluate hockey nowadays donnie where it's like uh, okay how sustainable is all of this and hey it's only 5 games the canucks are 3 and 2 but that's the conversation with where their shooting percentages and how good the goaltending has been so far i think the reality is we we all know the canucks are going to have to keep getting better if they're going to sustain some of these results moving forward
2: well, what does what Rick Tocchet talk, talk about all the time? I mean, every good coach in the National Hockey League talks about consistency, and that's where they got to get. Where yeah, they had a pretty ga- pretty good game against Florida, team missing you know arguably it's two best defensemen, so let, let, you know at the tap game not not so great, but you know build on that Florida game. Don't just be satisfied with it. And if you feel off, if you feel tired at the end of a five game road trip. And talk, it talks about this all the time. You're, you're not, you don't feel perfect, fight through that. And to try to establish some sort of consistency. That's, that's where they have to get. And, and, you know, it's been such an up-and-down five games, such an up-and-down start to the season. And I'm sure he's happy with Florida, but he won't be completely happy until he sees some sort of consistency. Maybe not even in results, but just in, in effort and overall um, the, the overall approach, but that, I think that's what he that he's looking for. And I mean, it, you know what? I tell you this: it's been eventful the first five games. No question about it, but I know talker would love to see consistent effort and results mm-hmm. each time out. Well,
1: and absolutely, and I think a lot of the some of the uh, talk, at least around the team, has actually been centered around trades, especially because of Connor Garland. But as you mentioned before, it's clear this team needs an upgrade on the back end. The most easy answer, I think, is the Ethan Bear situation. But also, realistically, whenever he comes in, and let's say for argument's sake, he comes in and, and sometime yeah. in December, you're probably not going to get the best version of Ethan Bear for. Yeah a couple of months. So as oh, much yeah. as we look at Ethan Bear, I mean, that, that's not really a solution for a few months at the earliest.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, the shoulder issue, he's got to get over that, and uh, you would think it would be over if he's on the ice. and Then he hasn't played for so long. So yeah he, he he might be you know is is it the best of a? I don't want to say best of a bad lot because he hasn't stepped on the ice this season but it might be the the best solution they have mm-hmm. the most realistic solution uh they have you know more than serviceable defensemen on that on that right side so i wouldn't be surprised surprised to see that
0: do you think uh jt miller will finally start winning over more of the fan base if he keeps playing like this
2: well, it's just uh, what he's doing right now where that where defensively, he seems to he, well, pardon me, he is being dependent on. I never saw that coming, yeah. you know, and I, I think he, he's going to have a hard time living down a couple of things. First of all, the contract, people think it's too much, but if, if they're winning games and they end up going on some sort of playoff run somewhere down the road, people uh, will forget about it. And then I think the hardest thing to get over for any athlete, anybody in the public eye is a negative visual, and, you know, him barking at his teammates, you know, him you know, smashing the back of the net, um, him not back-checking. Those are visuals that are imprinted in every Canuck fan's mind. And it's it's going to be hard for him, whether it's right or wrong, it's going to be hard for him, in the opinion of Canuck fans, to get over that. But at least he's he's making a pretty good effort and making people forget about that. And, you know, like I said, it happened with Alexander. People, the opinion of him changed pretty quickly.
0: Uh, Donnie we appreciate the time as always Thanks for this
2: Always fun guys thanks a lot
0: uh, There he is Don Taylor joining us uh, here on Canucks Central And continuing the uh, chit chat about JT Miller mm-hmm. uh, We got this uh, tweet From Gordy Locke Who's listening in yeah. live On Twitter And uh, if social media was around for Merzen it would have been merciless It didn't help Merzen <laughs> when uh, they went on to the 94 cup run without Merzen in the lineup yeah I mean
1: I, I mean he he played a fair bit of, a fair bit in the playoffs for Vancouver I think he still had like close to 30 playoff games oh, the team, wow. or if not more than 30 playoff team playoff games for the team and he's and he still played a few games that year but yes they went on the run without him being there towards the end of course right and and everything but he's right like if social media was around back then and back in like in in school and stuff and everybody talking about you know Merzen and being a pylon and stuff like It would always come up, Merzen the pylon like the pylon is like yeah. don't run into don't don't run into Dana Merzen. There'd be a pylon on the street and you don't run into Merzen. I mean so like the guy would the always crosswalker
0: get it. is just like
1: yeah, he's pulling Dana Mersin. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. I I just remember kids making fun of him all the time, right? I he was the guy who was the butt end of jokes. If there was social media, it'd be so different, right? But especially with kids, they're so mean spirited. So yeah. I remember like you know a lot of these guys getting dragged when we were just talking about hockey amongst ourselves and stuff. But uh, he would rank up very high on that list, and he was here for a long time. Like he spent like what almost ten years, nine years in yeah. Vancouver. So
0: um, Myers and are are definitely on the on the. Probably round out the top three. Yeah,
1: Lucas Pisa gets a honorable mention. Yeah. But he wasn't here for long enough. It was like a couple years, ultimately. Didn't
0: really have a big enough role either. No,
1: you know. Like,
0: Branson was brought here as a big piece and a big trade. they
1: gave up quite a bit to get him.
0: And uh, Tyler Myers... You know, it was a big free agent contract. Yeah. So that factors into the, the fans' vitriol towards the player. Yeah, and somebody just mentioned
1: uh, Keith Ballard. Same percentage of the cap as Tyler oh, yes. Myers. He really struggled. And not only did they pay him, and they also gave up a first-round pick of Michael Grabner uh, and Bernier to
0: acquire yeah. him. So it was, it was quite a bit. Um, and he became the uh, forever known trade package Yes, <laughs> you try was. to get from everybody else. Exactly. That's the, the Ballard Ballard, trade. Raymond and, and a first. And a first. No, and, and a second. Yeah. Ballard,
1: Raymond and a second. That's going to get you something. That,
0: that'll, that'll get you Sidney Crosby, <laughs> won't it? I'm sure it will. Peddled
1: around to everybody. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the thing with him was I think there was always I don't know if he ever got hate as much. I think there, the conversation was like, why aren't they playing this guy? Right. And then towards the end you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing about Ballard was like when he played for the Coyotes, before he went to Florida, like he was, he was pretty good. He was, he was tough. He fought big hitter, the big hip checks, and just a really gritty player. Great on the PK, moved the puck well, could score some goals,
0: and then it just kind of fell apart for him. Yeah, every fan base has these guys. You know, just think about. The difference how Canucks fans view Christian Earhoff to the way Buffalo Sabres fans would view Christian Earhoff. Yes. Dramatically different. <laughs> dramatically, dramatically different.
1: Oh man, uh, I just got a text from Bick. Dana Merzen, plus seventy eight as a Canuck. Underrated. <laughs> I knew Bick would have an answer like that. He was plus thirty-four one year with Vancouver. Yeah, man. Underrated. He got he got too much hate.
0: Of course Bick wants to chime in when we're just naming <laughs> dudes, you know? Guys naming dudes. Guys naming dudes. <laughs> and he's available. Uh, All right, well, keep naming some of those uh, not favorite Canucks defensemen you've had through your Canuck fandom. Uh, It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Coming up, Brandon Sutter, uh, recently retired after going through a PTO with the Edmonton Oilers and deciding uh, wasn't going to be able to come back and continue playing in his career. Had a long battle with long COVID and continues to have that battle. Brandon Sutter shares his story next on Canuck Central.